Welcome to Manufacturing Tomorrow, focusing on advanced manufacturing innovations, solutions, and partnerships that exist in our region now and in the future. Hello there, you're listening to Manufacturing Tomorrow, brought to you by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute at The Ohio State University. I'm Katherine Kelly, your host for this segment. Special thanks to the Fisher College of Business Center for Operational Excellence for connecting us to our guest. Today, we are speaking with Anthony Schlegel, president, founder, and inventor of The Difference. The Difference is a portable hand placement striking machine built right here in Columbus, Ohio, that is making a strong presence in college and high school gyms around the country. Anthony formed The Difference after completing his MBA from the Fisher College of Business at Ohio State and leaving his post as the Associate Director of Football Sports Performance for the Buckeyes. Anthony started his college career at the U.S. Air Force Academy before transferring to Ohio State and its celebrated football team. He was selected in the 2006 NFL Draft by the New York Jets and played with the Cincinnati Bengals. Welcome, Anthony. Go Bucks. Go Bucks. Good to be here. Usually, the football trainers take the shape of sleds, chutes, dummies, tackle wheels, and shields. Uh, For audience members who are not familiar with the company and the product, how would you describe the difference? That's a a great question. Uh, I think it starts kind of with the story about how I actually came up with the difference. So after we won the national championship in 2014, Coach Meyer wanted to work on a drill, a hand-striking drill that we did during the season called The Difference. So Chris Ash, when he came here, kind of implemented this, and they really enforced it with video showing that having good hand placement allows guys to make more plays in space, and it's vital to our game. So Chris Ash and I came up with uh, using two-by-sixes, and then logistically we had to put 40 two-by-six in and around the indoor facility so we could use them during our winter conditioning. And as I started to see from a logistics standpoint what was going on, I realized that the problem with all equipment out there that works on hand striking is the fact that you always had to have a partner. Mm -hmm. So regardless if I hold a two by six or I drop a med ball or I hold a bag, you always had to have a partner. So. I was sitting in my office one day in the weight room, and I was like, I got to do something that I can attach this to a weight rack. Because there's there's sleds that are in the ground that guys could hit, but I couldn't watch them hit them because it was an NCAA violation because I was a strength coach. Right. So I wanted to incorporate something like that into the weight room. And literally, I designed it on a piece of paper. I took it over to uh, our welding shop and said, hey, here's what I want. And they put it together, and the prototype was, was born from a, a dip bar that went on a weight rack, some angle iron, a spring, and um, a 2 by 4 or 2 by 6 wrapped in carpet. Put it up, and then guys just started hitting it. So basically, it's a spring-loaded, stationary striking machine that goes in but always comes back to point A really fast because of the spring tension. How would the football player use the striker? So what they would do when we first started out is we would incorporate it in lifting. So if they did a bench, uh, much like if you do squats, you would superset that with a, a plyometric jump to be more explosive. So we were using it with a combination with bench. We were also using it in combination of trying to get like a, a work capacity. So like a battling rope that people use now. Mm-hmm. It's more of like a, 
upper body conditioning for your shoulders. So they would use it in that regard as well. So I, I'd hit it 20 times as fast as I can and get a burn. But then we started to see guys would just walk into the weight room and then get 10 reps and then go to their car. So they were they would do punt drills. They would do offensive line drills. They would do a D-line drill, a DB drill, running back drill. So And then they would just go to their car. So it was just an, another opportunity of getting reps that correlate to the game without having to have a partner that they would never have gotten before. When did it dawn on you that this was a, a product that uh, could easily be used in in any training program, you know, in, in terms of being able to be carried and set up by a person? It can be used by all different ages. Right. When did that happen? So that's just how the, the product matures, right? So I, I very vividly remember Prototype 1, and then I went to Texas. And well, one, I, Prototype 1 was in... Um, February 17th of 2015 and then I applied for <clears throat> excuse me patent pending in April filed in June and then I started the company basically August 1 so after I started the company then it was okay full speed ahead prototype 2 prototype 3 prototype 4 prototype 5 now we're selling units and our first sale was to the University of Arkansas about 10 so from that over that time it was, okay, how do we get it for colleges? Well, is that the market? No, the biggest market is 16,000 high schools, you know, 288,000 uh, young people that play Pop Warner football. So it was over that time that we realized what the consumer needed. You know, do coaches understand how to use tools? The answer is no. <laughs> do, um, does a mom know if she's going to buy a product for her son what spring tension she needs? The answer is no, unless I can articulate that in a manner which it's easy to understand. And that's difficult in itself to do. So why not put them all in there? And and that's really over that time of just going as hard as you possibly can. I'm a big whiteboard fan, so it's all up there. And then you can just start to see the story. I believe the story is always king, but the story of your product. And then from there, then I can manufacture it to the best of my capabilities. And that must, uh, that hurdle of distinguishing your product from the entire spectrum of training devices, that that uh, that is something that you just hit on. I mean, how are you doing that right now? You know, you always, there's, there's kind of like the theory of low cost versus differentiated. And, and really, we are both. And that was a strategic uh, plan from my perspective of being low cost and different is the fact that this product is completely versatile. Uh, a four-year-old to a 30-year-old uh, NFL center can hit this. Uh, it's completely portable. A sled weighs 300 pounds. Some of the younger, the lighter sleds weigh, you know, 150, 200. Mm-hmm. Still difficult to put in your truck, right? If I'm a coach, this thing weighs 25 pounds. One person could put it together. I have one in my basement. And, you know, so it's just seeing all those different things that make my product stand out. The fact that you can use it all year is a huge one because, you know, not everybody is Ohio State and has the money to buy individual specific things. However, this, you can use it all year. And kids could then get thousands, hundreds of thousands of strikes on this versus, you know, 30,000 max on a sled that stays outside. And I don't use it at all, except for the season. 
So over that time, you start to develop your value proposition for people. And, you know, right now, the biggest thing is it started with a training of trying to get great quality reps for the athlete to help them become better, you know. But what it really has matured into is that we can create a safer game one strike at a time. So every time I eliminate one-on-one contact with somebody and they get better at the game, they're going to be safer, right? And it's just going to promote the longevity of our of our game. That's amazing. You must be proud of the fact that uh, this is locally manufactured. That is definitely what piqued my interest. Right. Uh, are you working with a, 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 sta- a single firm or multiple companies? And uh, and I, I, as I understand it, you assemble this in house, correct? Absolutely. So, yeah. So we mo- we work with um, a bunch of different manufacturers in and around town, and this was really, you know, big for me. And I I, I didn't I wasn't born in the state of Ohio. I was, I was born in Iowa, and I was I was raised in Texas, but Ohio has been always has always been good to me. So, keeping it local. Um, was important for a couple of different reasons. One, it's, in my opinion, and Woody, Woody said this, he went with people, and it's always about the relationship, which I learned from Coach Tress. And by establishing those relationships here, people are more willing to work with you. You know, um, a lot of startups can't get terms. Well, we got terms, but we paid people, right? But we also said, hey, work with us. We want to make you money. We want to make money, but let's come together. What are some things that you see from this product that could be better? You know, I don't know everything. And so when you don't know everything, I want to get feedback and I want to collaborate with people. And now they're invested in your product as well. And they want you to succeed. So those were big reasons. Plus, when you're in a startup, and I'm constantly trying to uh, evaluate and enhance the product. I'm never satisfied with it. But as you do that, you can't have huge runs of 1,000 units. So by being able to keep the batch size low, I can change the product when I want to. Hey, here's what I'm going to do over the next 50 units. Here's what I'm going to do over the next 250 units. Hey, we have you know 70 units left. I want to go ahead and make this change right now. Um, you can do that when you're local. Hard to do that when you're on a national scale or an international manufacturing um, because the relationship's not going to be there and you're not going to get the product in time to get it out. In my space of fitness equipment, most people are six to eight weeks to deliver. We are tomorrow if you want the product. If you want a custom logo, it's a week. Now, I put on the website two to four weeks, but I like to surprise people with like, oh, I just I just bought this. Now I got it. I can use it. So that's amazing. Which, yeah, I mean, which is big because coaches, <clears throat> excuse me, coaches having been one, they want it tomorrow. They don't understand. Like we live in a bubble, uh, unlike the rest of the world, you know, so they want the product tomorrow. And if you can deliver upon that, they're going to buy more from you and they're going to have a relationship with you. And again, that, that's what it's all about because they're, especially at the college level, high school kids and high school coaches go to colleges for camps and training. So if they're at a college and they see your product and that coach has a relationship with you, they're going to rave about your product to those coaches and those kids. That brings up a couple topic, topics. Um, so we, we talked about the, the manufacturing partners 
uh, I wanted to talk about the the innovation partners okay. and uh, who are the partners and organizations that have that have helped you uh, innovate with this product here in town. Yeah, so I, I got flip my lip because like there's not a ton, but they're they're just great people. So uh, one of the first ones, and this is how it all works, right? Was Custom Cutters out of Mount Vernon, great people. So I was introduced to Custom Cutters because when I graduated with my MBA, I was looking at Worthington Steel as a place that I like to work because I've heard nothing but great things about their culture. And, um, you know, it just wasn't a good fit from a, a travel standpoint, but they're great people there. Yeah, we've and, had them on the show. Yeah, they're awesome. And so when, when I was like, hey, I have this product in steel, I called them up who I interviewed with and said, hey, who do you know here that does steel? And they're like, well, everything that we do outside of our own fabrication shop, we go to custom cutters. I said, fantastic. So I went there, brought my prototype in, said, I want this made, and a relationship, you know, was born from that. Uh, HFI, that's Walt Dennis. Uh, Walt is an Ohio State uh, booster. He does a lot with the golf. He built the golf center. But Dan Cloran was like, hey, you need to talk to Walt Dennis. He's a manufacturer. HFI down at Canal, they do, I mean, they do a lot of business in the automotive industry. And you should talk to him. So I took it over to his house. I showed him. He's like, yeah, I really like this. I think we could definitely help you, especially from the vinyl, the covering mm -hmm. side, because that's what they do. And um, so now we've been able to get that to where it's one piece. So now I just buy the pad itself from Walt, where it was I got the vinyl. I had the vinyl from, from Walt. Then I had my foam from Trim Tech, great people. Then I had my plastic from Piedmont, but it used to be wood. And uh, but now everything goes through them for just that one price because I'm trying to eliminate myself from doing everything, so I could sell it. But um, so they've been great to work with. And then Dush Graphics is out of Newark. It's amazing how the graphics on the pad. I mean, they have to be perfect because the first thing that people see, and it's your brand. Exactly. And we're, and we're a registered brand, so. So it is, in essence, my billboard, my advertising, and it's got to be perfect. And they really worked with me on the fact that it, it was a step process. You know, there was a lot of testing. There was a lot of stuff that scrapped. And when you're a startup, you're like, man, that's just money going out the door. But it, you have to get to that point to now it's, hey, I need the Texans. And in two days, boom, I got the Texans, you know. And so that relationship has been fantastic. They do all my shirts. I got a big graphic uh in my shop that they do anything from a graphic shirt marketing standpoint, those are my people. And then, you know, my springs are out of Springfield, Stadler Springs, he's been great to work with. Tech Metals does uh, my electroless nickel plating, and then Trim Tech did my foam, uh, and they still do it. But all those people are within a 50-minute drive of Columbus, Ohio. And when you can do that, you can be flexible, and I can get product out and provide customer service for people. It definitely takes a manufacturing ecosystem. Are there? Did you get any help from the university? Uh, well, I I am a I am a uh, person that I just go like I don't wait on stuff. And the university, I'm sure, has a, a lot of different outlets that they could probably direct me to. And they, in essence, they did by putting me in the right direction of HFI from uh, Dan Cloran and, and the athletic department side of understanding the business of people that actually support Ohio State. So that was fantastic. But, you know, it's 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 hard to say, like, you know, that they've really helped you in this process. It's, it's basically I just went out and I found the people because I just want people to be doing business with me, not necessarily with 
the university and I'm always welcome to help. But this is just how the process happened for me. Got it. Uh, as you've worked on this, uh, I'm, I'm assuming you've pulled from your experience of being a, a football coach. How has that translated into the manufacturing experience? Yeah, so it's, it's amazing that nobody realizes this, but a strength coach is your chief operating officer for sure. Um, you know, like a director of football operations, it says operations in his name, but he's really the CFO because he runs the budget. But to get things done is definitely your strength coach. And then like your head coach is your CEO. And I would say your coordinators are kind of like your senior vice presidents of whatever they want to be, you know, but, but your chief operating officer is a strength coach. And at Ohio State, we got one of the best in Coach Mick. And from that experience, you get to see how you plan a program from a very 30,000 foot level, but an operating officer needs to be able to execute at ground level. So from a manufacturing standpoint, I think a lot of people struggle because some people are great at the vision of what their manufacturing plant should look like. But not all of them can go down and weld units and understand the intricacies of what whatever it is that they manufacture and how could I make this easier for my employees that are actually putting this together or making this. Right now, it's that whole lean principle. Mm-hmm. And when you go into my... When you go into our shop, it's amazing how I first had it. It was like a big circle, right? So raw material would come in, it would kind of work its way around the back. But what it did was it left a huge void in the middle where my subassembly would go. And but I started to pull from that subassembly back over, and it, it just it just wasted a lot of space. And um, so there was an MBA intern, Mike Owens, great guy, forty-seven, was in the Navy working with Amazon now, he came in, did an internship, and was like, hey, I think we could be a lot more efficient this way. And I'm like, great, let's do it, whatever you want. you know. And it, But it made sense. We talked about it. We drew it up. And we're like, yeah, this makes sense, and let's go. Mm-hmm. So now it's raw material comes in. It's on the right. There's tables, big rolling tables, so we can maneuver them however we want to. That's where we do our subassembly and put it on the shelves as a subassembly unit. And we have a separate table for packaging the materials literally is you know as i look at my inventory that's on the wall as soon as that gets depleted or i have custom units that that go out and i pick and pull i automatically know how many units i need to make or when i need to make them when i need to reorder Um, so all those things from a strength coach side all translate into manufacturing because at the end of the day if i can't see it i can't execute it so i think having both of those is critical in the manufacturing space. Uh, when we met at the uh, Center for Operational Excellence Innovation Summit, uh, you had uh, made a statement that the coach's responsibility is to show the value add of football. Um, how does that translate? Yeah, that's a good point. So um, the value add of football versus the value add of your product versus the value add of the people that work with you and uh, supply you with the material to accomplish your mission. I think it's like there's a bunch of value adds, right? So, you know, from a coach, I want to show the kid or the athlete that when I get on him because he dropped his feet, that it's not just affecting him, but it's affecting his teammate, right? So first I had to build trust with that per, that player that I can get on him 
and it's nothing personal, but it's the fact that I'm holding them accountable for allowing their feet to drop because in the, in the, the heat of the game, if they straighten their legs and they don't bend and they miss a block or they miss a tackle, in essence, it's the exact same thing. So I'm creating different events to you know, facilitate that response from them, to show them the value add, that I care. Uh, Trust always said they never care about how much you know till they know how much you care, which mm-hmm. is a huge one. Um, definitely very, very true. In the manufacturing st- uh, standpoint, you know, the people that you work with, they got, they got to feel like they're invested, committed to your company and that you are committed to them. That's a big thing. So everybody that does stuff with the Difference USA, it's completely committed to helping them achieve their goals. Just like they're, you know, they're not going to work with us if they're, I won't let them work with us if they're not committed to us accomplishing our mission either. And then two, the people that we use that are our suppliers, hey, it's paying your bills on time. And calling on the phone and being cordial and understanding that, hey, you know, I, I didn't get these products done in, in the manner of which I got them. Well, I can be a little flexible because though I can get the product out tomorrow, I still have a buffer, right? I've created my own um, window that if they can't actually get it there in the time frame I want it, they're still going to get it there under the two weeks that I've allotted myself. So by being able to create that understanding my value stream, understanding how long it takes to make the product, I've in essence created barriers to protect them and myself through that process. So I'm showing them that I'm thinking about them, that I'm adding value to them by paying my stuff on time, that I'm adding value to them by collaborating and they're adding value to me by giving me great terms and being flexible to do our custom jobs in a speedy manner. Another concept that uh, came out of the Innovation Summit is uh, about the manufacturing innovation process and its uh, risks and uh, and its connection to resilience. And th- that seems to be a, a theme with with you and, and your uh, entrepreneurial <laughs> activity here. And yeah, there's a, there's a lot. You talk to my see. That's the thing people people don't realize. Um, a lot of the risk, I won't even say risk, but the scary side of a startup. I mean, and I'm in it right now, and I had to have a real conversation with my wife. It's, hey, here's what we got. We got X amount of dollars in our bank for this business, but I got, you know, <laughs> X amount, X, X amount of dollars in accounts receivable, right? And I'm trying to pay myself and pay bills, and you're struggling getting people to pay you because they're moving at their own pace, but you want to push product and make sales to cover everything so you can keep innovating and doing all this stuff. Like that's real and uh, definitely not sexy. You know, people think of startups and where you could be, it's like, oh, they can they can make it. Nobody wants to risk that. They don't want to take the chance. They're, they, they like living in the comfortable realms of a paycheck and, you know, insurance. Like I don't have insurance. You know, we do Christian healthcare ministries. That's what we do. And uh, it's been great. So, you have to understand, and I, I talk a lot about this, is that there's a, a difference between evaluating and understanding risk. Um, when you evaluate risk or I evaluate anything, you're going to hesitate, and you're going to think about it, and you're going to dwell on it. Um, what I like to do is I like to understand the risk. I understand the fact that we don't have insurance. We don't have a steady paycheck. Um, I understand that Anthony Schlegel has a brand in Columbus, Ohio, I can make supplemental income, which is fantastic, which is why I'm still here and not back in Texas. Um, so I understand that. I understand things that I can do. And then, 
you know, I also understand that I don't play golf and I don't hunt and I don't do a lot of things that I want to do because I'm in the process of trying to accomplish a mission. And if you understand those things, then you can go and do your job and be a startup. But when you evaluate, you hesitate, you second guess, I can't go make a sale. I can't go visit the Carolina Panthers and North Carolina and, and make those connections and get in colleges and talk to high schools if all I'm doing is sitting here evaluating the risk and, of what I'm doing, you know. So that kind of leads to, you know, there's a fear of failure versus the, the fear of friction uh, versus the embracing the friction. I, I could talk about that too. And, you know, a lot of sometimes people are afraid to fail. It is like I don't want to I don't want to take that risk because I don't want to be a failure. And will people see me as a failure? Will people judge me? You know, the fear of friction. I mean, I've been around athletes that they are resistant to excellence because they know that if they get really, really good, they're going to have a lot of expectations on them. And they are afraid of the friction and the possibility of, of what they could be. I mean, that's that's a reality. And I think that a lot of people are like that, too. It's like, ah, I'm just comfortable doing this. I just want to do this great. That's, that's cool. Don't be an entrepreneur, you know? And then there's the, the embracing of the friction. It's embracing that I still grind like I did when I was a strength coach. I grind on my own time, but I embrace it and I learn from it. And I just, you just keep going and you use that to your advantage down the road. You couldn't have wrapped it up any better. Good luck to you, Anthony. Thank you so much for coming on the show. No problem. I appreciate you having me.